Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I'm so happy to be back after my little hiatus with this special episode. You know, there are a few of my listeners who I've grown to actually become pretty good internet pals with over this past year, one of them being Jenny Waters. We've spoken a few times about fairy tales and their not-so-Disney-like origins. Well, I received a story this week that reminded me so much of those original scary tales that I decided to build a whole episode around it. Welcome to an episode chock-full of gruesome fairy tales. Let's start off this week with the story that inspired it all. This is by author Kayla Snow, and it's called Emily Was a Good Girl. Emily was a good girl. Mummy and Daddy had always said so. She was the best girl to ever be good. She knew that very well. Whenever Mummy and Daddy had guests over, she was always sure to treat them with the utmost respect. She was always well-behaved and well-mannered, and when Emily made a mess, she always tidied after herself. She was also always responsible when it came to her chores, and was always making it her main priority to do Mummy and Daddy proud. Thus, whenever her parents would send Emily off on an errand, she would be sure to do exactly as they wished, hopefully exceeding their expectations. While Daddy was always easiest to please, her mother was a little more stern, so Emily was always trying twice as hard when given tasks from her. Nonetheless, though, she always did her very best. Emily was truly the most good little girl. Today, Mummy had pulled Emily aside and told her she needed Emily to run an errand for her into town. So, Emily, being the good little girl she was, took on the assignment happily, eager to make her Mummy proud. You can handle this? Mummy asked sternly, it's going to be a little different than normal, but I trust you have the capabilities for this, she added. Yes, Emily nodded enthusiastically. I can do it. All right then, her mother smiled. Just be sure not to get lost along the way, my love. The town breaks off into many trails, and not all townsfolk are to be trusted. Yes, Mummy. Emily smiled warmly at her mother and skipped out the door, with only the determination to do her mother proud in her mind. Emily soon wandered into town, hoisting her backpack onto her shoulders and making her own way down the main path. Her only goal, trying to find what she could for Mummy, she searched all through the day, near every building but to no avail. Hours passed by, and having found nothing, Emily began to worry. Not only that, but Emily now realized that, while so busy searching, she had wandered off the main road and gotten herself lost. Suddenly, stricken with the idea of disappointing her mummy, Emily began to cry. Where are your parents, little girl? A man's voice spoke. Sniffling, Emily looked up and pouted at the older man. He looked to be in about his mid or late forties, 
He had big blue eyes that were rimmed with round glasses and seemed to be wearing a well-fitting vest and pants. He looked like a well-dressed grandfather, or maybe someone's butler. This calmed Emily, as he looked like many of her parents' helpers at home. At home, sir, I was trying to find something from Mummy, but now I'm lost. What's your name? he asked, his smile warm and voice soft. Emily, she blubbered quietly between sobs. The man's smile stretched widely across his own lips as he whispered, Oh, yes, Emily, I know your mummy. I'm so happy I found you. She has sent me here to come fetch you. She said that she was afraid that you had gotten lost and wanted me to bring you home. Outstretching his hand to invite Emily to hold it. She did? Emily shrieked with joy before frowning again. But I haven't finished Mummy's errand. Don't you worry about it, my dear. I'm sure she'll understand. He grinned. Okay, Emily muttered. Unsure, but hoping that what the man said was true as she took hold of his clammy hand and began to walk with him. The man and her wandered for what seemed like an eternity, walking far out until they were out of the town, and now edging into the woods. Looking up, Emily noticed the sun beginning to set, the quiet sounds of night beginning to stretch across the terrain as she grew restless. Emily realized she couldn't make out anything familiar, and puzzled, broke the silence. Are we almost there, sir? The sky is close to sleeping. (laughs) Of course, of course, the man chuckled. You will see your mummy soon, sweetheart. It's just a little longer up this way. True to his word, a few moments later, Emily spotted a clearing ahead. In the midst of it stood a humble little cottage. As they grew closer, she noticed that the cottage was overtaken by the leaves of an overcasting tree. It was a quiet fixture, with moss creeping up the sides of it, and big pebbles on the ground as a leadway to make it to the porch. While it was an appropriate home, it was not her own. Not only that, but there was something off-putting about it. It seemed to set off flags inside of Emily, not being able to pinpoint exactly what it was that made her so anxious. Emily began to feel a sense of unease wash over her as they walked together towards the pebbles. This isn't home, Emily shook her head. Where is mommy? Oh, but she's just inside, darling. She wanted to surprise you. As the man spoke, his grip tightened on Emily's hand ever so slightly. The man smiled a wide grin at her, and for once, Emily finally noticed how crooked and sharp his teeth were. Yellow, black, and brown flecks covered his teeth and gums. And while large in size, 
None of them seemed to be perfectly lined up. To her, they even seemed to be rotting. It seemed odd to Emily that she had not noticed this about the man earlier. Uh, I'm not sure. Emily quietly spoke, her feet slowing to a stop. Oh, but you must come, the man exclaimed, his eyes locking onto hers intensely. She took so much time to plan this. She's throwing you a party here for how good you've been. How, how good I've been? Emily looked up at the man, her eyes suddenly filled with surprise and excitement. Yes, my dear, she's right inside. Come along now. He laughed. The air inside of the cottage was stale and Emily smelled a mixture of unpleasant odors once inside. Not noticing, however, and completely enthralled to see her mother, she ignored it. It was much darker inside, though, as it seemed the man had yet to turn on the lights. Emily was so overtaken with the joy of seeing mother, she didn't even hear the locks of the door click behind her. Mummy? She called out. Mummy, I'm here! Where are you, Mummy? She didn't even notice as the man grabbed a knife from the kitchen and began to creep up quietly behind her. Can we turn on the lights, sir? I can't see Mummy. Of course, my sweet, he cooed as he gently grabbed her shoulder and pulled her into his body from behind. She is so excited to see you. He slowly inched the knife out from behind his back, his fingers twitching with anticipation when he heard the girl quietly mumble something under her lips. Her body seemed to stiffen as she mumbled. What did you say, Emily? And suddenly, with a swift movement, Emily turned and stabbed something into his left leg, the impact taking him aback as he stumbled and felt his vision begin to stir. Mummy is not here, Emily answered. Her tone completely changed as she watched the man stagger and drop the knife, falling onto the floor of the cottage with a loud bang. The syringe in her hand glistening in the casting of the moonlight through the cottage windows. The last thing he saw before he fell unconscious was Emily stepping into the moonlight, her eyes livid, full of betrayal and scorn. You're a bad, bad man, Emily said. When the man awoke again, his eyes took a moment to adjust to his new surroundings. He was no longer in the cabin, he knew that for sure. He was cold, his back to something metal. He moved his arms to stand, only to hear them clink and tug back down. His head was groggy and his eyes couldn't seem to 
focus on anything around him at first. Disoriented, he tried to look around, but his head was forcibly cocked to face towards a light shining over him. Slowly coming out of his daze, he began to struggle up. However, to his dismay, nothing moved. His hands and feet seemed to be clamped down to the surface he laid on. Suddenly, frightened, he tried to let out a shout. But instead, an intense pain seared across his lips. The pain quickly rippling across his mouth as he instinctively called out in dismay, only to have it muffled and the pain bite at him again. For some reason, the sounds wouldn't escape his lips, and instead, his screams were muffled by an unknown force clamping his mouth shut. As his situation finally began sinking in, he began to try recollecting what happened last before waking up here. Suddenly, a sound came out from his right, and he heard two voices, one familiar and the other of a woman. Emily, the woman gasped aloud, seemingly stunned by what she saw before her. I'm sorry, Mommy. I know this isn't exactly what you asked for, but it's what I could find. Emily apologized. I, I don't know what to say. It's hideous. Disgusting. She paused and walked closer to the bench where the man lay and whispered. It's perfect. Emily's mother leaned over the man her grin nearly cartoon-like as it stretched far across her face. Confused and terrified, the man stared back at her. Really? Emily nearly shouted in surprise. I thought you wanted... I asked you to bring me the most foul human you came across today, and you... You brought me a monster that taints children. She studied the man for a moment her smile widening as she ran her fingers over his mouth. Your stitch work is impeccable, love. You've improved so much. Just wait until your father sees this. She smiled and softly kissed Emily on the forehead. You did so good, Emily. We're going to be able to turn this man into what he really is. An ugly, putrid, horrifying beast. Her mother squealed. <laughs> I can't wait to watch this one turn. <laughs> she gently touched the man's skin, leaning into his face and softly whispering. What a repulsive pile of flesh you'll become. Especially for what you tried to do to my daughter. She threw her head back. And as the man tried to scream through his soul. What a bad man, she smirked. Gently, she turned and embraced her daughter in a tight hug. But you, my Emily, 
You are such a good little girl. This next story comes from the original Brothers Grimm Fairy Tales. It's a German story, and it's called How Some Children Played at Slaughtering. It's actually two parts, and this is the second part, but I, I don't know, I thought you guys would enjoy this one, or actually be more horrified by this one. So if you'd like, you can always go look up the first part, but this is part two of how some children played at slaughtering. There once was a father who slaughtered a pig, and his children saw that. In the afternoon, when they began playing, one child said to the other, You be the little pig, and I'll be the butcher. He then took a shiny knife, and slit his little brother's throat. Their mother was upstairs in a room bathing another child, and when she heard the cries of her son, she immediately ran downstairs. Upon seeing what had happened, she took the knife out of her son's throat and was so enraged that she stabbed the heart of the other boy, who had been playing the butcher. Then, she quickly ran back up to the room to tend to her child in the bathtub, but while she was gone, he had drowned in the tub. Now the woman became so frightened and desperate that she did not allow the neighbors to comfort her and finally hung herself. When her husband came back from the fields, he saw everything and he became so despondent that he died soon after. This next story is called The Singing Bone. Once upon a time, in a certain country, there was great concern about a wild boar that was destroying the peasants' fields, killing the cattle, and ripping people apart with its tusks. The king promised a large reward to anyone who could free the land from this plague, but the beast was so large and strong that no one dared to go near the woods where it lived. Finally, the king proclaimed that whoever could capture or kill the wild boar should have his only daughter in marriage. Now, in this country, there lived two brothers, sons of a poor man. They declared that they dared to attempt the task. The older one, who was crafty and shrewd, did so out of pride. The younger one, who was innocent and simple, did so because of his heart. The king said, in order to be more sure of finding the beast, you should enter the woods from opposite sides. Thus, the older one entered the woods from the west and the younger from the east. After the younger one had walked a little while, a little dwarf stepped up to him he held a black spear in his hand and said, I am giving you this spear because your heart is innocent and good. With it, you can confidently attack the wild boar. It will do you no harm. He thanked the dwarf, put the spear on his shoulder, and walked on fearlessly. Before long, he saw the beast. It attacked him, but he held the spear towards it, and in its blind fury, ran into the spear with such force that its heart was slashed in two. 
Then he put the monster on his back and turned towards home, intending to take it to the king. Emerging from the other side of the woods, he came to a house where people were making merry, drinking wine and dancing. His older brother was there too. Thinking that the boar would not run away from him anytime soon, he decided to drink himself some real courage. When he saw his younger brother coming out of the woods with his booty, his envious and evil heart gave him no peace. He called out to him, Come in, dear brother. Rest and refresh yourself with a beaker of wine. The younger brother, suspecting no evil, went in and told him about the good dwarf who had given him the spear with which he had killed the boar. The older brother kept him there until evening, and then they set forth, together. After dark, they came to a bridge over a brook, and the older brother let the younger one go first. When the younger brother reached the middle above the water, the older one gave him such a blow from behind that he fell down dead. He buried him beneath the bridge, took the boar and delivered it to the king, pretending that he had killed it. With this, he received the king's daughter in marriage. When his younger brother did not return, he said, the boar must have ripped him apart, and everyone believed it. But as nothing remains hidden from God, this black deed was also to come to light. After many long years, a shepherd was driving his herd across the bridge and saw a little snow-white bone lying in the sand below. Thinking that it would make a good mouthpiece, he climbed down, picked it up, and then carved out of it a mouthpiece for his horn. When he blew into it for the first time, to his great astonishment, the bone began to sing by itself. Oh, my dear shepherd, you are blowing on my little bone. My brother killed me and buried me beneath the bridge to get the wild boar for the daughter of the king. What a wonderful horn, said the shepherd. It sings by itself. I must take it to the king. When he brought it before the king, the horn again began to sing its little song. The king understood it well and had the earth beneath the bridge dug up. Then the whole skeleton of the murdered man came to light. The wicked brother could not deny the deed. He was sewn into a sack and drowned alive. The murdered man's bones were laid to rest in a beautiful grave in the churchyard. As you all know, I am approximately 536 years old. How do I stay so young looking, you ask? Well, I bathe in virgin blood. And as you all could probably guess, virgin blood is very expensive. So join me in my little ad corner. All right, now back to the show. This next story is probably the most squeamish one of the episode, or the one that's going to make you the most squeamish, that is, and it's called The Flayed Woman. A long time ago, the king of Rockfort lived across the street from two miserable old sisters. The cruelty of time had taken everything away from these women, 
Age had deformed their limbs. Wrinkles covered every inch of their skin, and the hair they had lost from their head regrew everywhere else on their ancient bodies. The sisters did not dare go outside for fear of being seen. The king had no interest in his reclusive neighbors, until he happened to hear the eldest one singing. By some chance, time had forgotten to steal away this youthful voice. The king was enchanted by the sound and demanded to be told about the woman living next to his castle. His servant knew of the hags and was snide in his response. The woman is so fragile, a flake of dust could break her bones. The sarcasm was lost on the king, who now believed a delicate flower of a woman lived next to him, and he began to pine for her. Alas, pining from a tower did not fit this bold noble. He walked straight to the rambled-down home of the sisters and spewed forth words of longing. The eldest sister refused to come out and speak with the king, but that only made him want her more. The king demanded to see some part of her to assuage his longing. The hag was so wrinkled that there was no bit of her hand that wouldn't offend him, but it seemed there was little choice in the matter. So, in the smallest voice she could manage, the eldest sister explained, In a week's time, I will show you one finger. The king was delighted. He knew that strongholds were won inch by inch, and considered this a step towards victory. He agreed, and left the women to their own devices. The sisters desperately covered their fingers in syrup, and sucked at them in a desperate attempt to rejuvenate their old flesh. A week went by, and the king returned. He demanded to see the finger he was promised. After all their work, the youngest sister had managed to produce one youthful-looking finger. Said finger was offered to the king through the keyhole. To the man, the digit was an arrow through his heart. He knew he was in love, and said so between the passionate kisses he placed on the limb. The king begged, pleaded, demanded that this mysterious woman share his bed that night. Unable to deny the king... In the highest pitch she could manage, the eldest sister said, I would be honored, but I am still a humble peasant and I am too ashamed to be seen by your grace. I will only visit your royal bedchambers if you remove all the lights in the castle, so I will not have to be afraid to be seen. The king promised it would be done and left. While the king eagerly awaited nightfall, the sisters had to work fast. The eldest had every loose bit of flesh pulled and tied behind her back with twine in a desperate attempt to regain smooth skin. They then shaved and plucked until their time ran out. The eldest sister draped herself in a cloak and was escorted by a servant through the dark halls of the castle. In the darkness of the bedroom, the king pulled the woman close to him. Being a wealthy man, he had covered himself in the strongest of perfumes and could not smell the horrendous odors that seeped from the woman. But he could feel her. Despite the sister's attempts, the king could feel the blisters that afflicted the old and the gnat bites that plagued the poor. As they coupled, 
the king, who had expected to ride a fine Spanish galleon, found himself on a barnacle-ridden old tub. Finished, the old woman fell asleep. The king pulled out a flint and a candle and looked upon his lover's face. He was horrified. He had wanted a nymph and instead found himself a gorgon. He quickly called the guards. They seized the poor hag from the bed and carried her toward the window. She begged for mercy. She had no desire to deceive the king, but he had asked her to come. The king did not care, and she was thrown out the window. By some miracle, the woman did not die upon the rocks below the tower. Instead, she had become tangled up in a tree. She struggled to get herself loose, but found herself too old to do so, and wept. The fairies of the forest heard the crying and went to investigate. Seeing the old woman's plight, they laughed at her misfortune. She was hurt by the laughter and cried more. The fairies could not remember a time they had laughed so hard, so they decided they would bestow gifts on the old woman as thanks. One by one, the fairies granted her youth and beauty, wealth and manners, servants and status. The eldest sister soon found herself seated on a velvet throne, wearing a fabulous gown, surrounded by equally well-dressed attendants. Meanwhile, the king finally regained his composure. He looked out the window to see the fate of the hapless old crone, only to see the finest lady in the land seated below. He could not believe his eyes. He did not know what had happened or who it was, but believed it had to be fate. The king ran out of the castle and proposed to the beautiful woman on the spot. The eldest sister, just as unsure what had happened, heartily agreed. The two were wed that day. The new queen invited the elderly hag that lived next to the castle. Though many were tempted to make fun of the hideous crone, once she took her place beside the new queen, none dared to. Though more food had been placed in front of the old woman than she had ever seen in her life, she refused to eat it. All her focus was on the youth of her sister. The old woman tugged at her sister's gown. What have you done with my sister? How did you do it? She begged. The young queen shook her head. Eat now, we'll talk later. The king asked what was the matter, and the queen dismissively explained. The old woman finds the mustard on the dishes too strong. Again, the old woman prodded. Please, tell me how you did it, my sister. The young queen scowled. We have more than enough time to talk about it. Please, just eat and be patient. The king asked what was wrong. The queen said, She wants to know if dessert will be ready soon. The haggardly sister would not wait. Time had made her what she was. She insisted, Tell me. Angered, the queen spat out. I flayed myself. The crone looked at her sister enviously. In a bitter tone, she said, We suffered together, so I will not let you enjoy this happiness alone, and left the palace. The old woman came to the barber surgeon 
and offered all the money the two had saved up. Flay me, she demanded. As much money as she had offered, the barber could not easily take up such a task. He tried to talk her out of it, but the old woman was determined and the barber eventually relented. The woman was chained up and sat patiently for the barber. With his razor, he began to skin her backside. With each tug and pull of the skin, the woman remained quiet, repeating, You must suffer for beauty. You must suffer for beauty. She kept up her mantra as the blood pooled around her and the light faded from her eyes. The end. This next story will remind you a lot of Cinderella, but with a more incestuous Game of Thronesy type twist. Enjoy Donkey Skin. Once upon a time, there was a king who was the most powerful ruler in the whole world. Kind and just in peace and terrifying in war. His enemies feared him, while his subjects were happy and content. His wife and faithful companion was both charming and beautiful. From their union, a daughter had been born. Their large and magnificent palace was filled with courtiers and their stables boasted steeds large and small of every description. But what surprised everyone on entering these stables was that the place of honor was held by a donkey with two big ears. However, it was quite worthy of this position, for every morning, instead of dung, it dropped a great load of gold coins upon the litter. Now heaven, which seems to mingle good with evil, suddenly permitted a bitter illness to attack the queen. Help was sought on all sides, but neither the learned physicians nor the charlatans were able to arrest the fever which increased daily. Finally, her last hour having come, the queen said to her husband, Promise me that if when I'm gone you find a woman wiser and more beautiful than I, you will marry her and so provide an heir for the throne. Confident that it would be impossible to find such a woman, the queen thus believed that her husband would never remarry. The king accepted his wife's conditions, and shortly thereafter, she died in his arms. For a time, the king was inconsolable in his grief, both day and night. Some months later, however, on the urging of his courtiers, he agreed to marry again, but this was not an easy matter, for he had to keep his promise to his wife and search as he might. He could not find a new wife with all the attractions he sought. Only his daughter had a charm and beauty which even the queen had not possessed. Thus, only by marrying his daughter could he satisfy the promise he had made to his dying wife, and so 
he forthwith proposed marriage to her. This frightened and saddened the princess, and she tried to show her father the mistake he was making. Deeply troubled at this turn of events, she sought out her fairy godmother, who lived in a grotto of corals and pearls. I know why you have come here, her godmother said. In your heart, there's a great sadness, but I am here to help you and nothing can harm you if you follow my advice. You must not disobey your father, but first, tell him that you must have a dress which has the color of the sky. Certainly, he will never be able to meet that request. And so, the young princess went all trembling to her father, but he, the moment he heard her request, summoned his best tailors and ordered them, without delay, to make a dress the color of the sky, or they could be assured he would hang them all. The following day, the dress was shown to the princess. It was the most beautiful blue of heaven, filled now with both happiness and fear. She did not know what to do, but her godmother again told her, ask for a dress the color of the moon. Surely your father will not be able to give you this. No sooner had the princess made the request than the king summoned his embroiderers and ordered that a dress the color of the moon be completed by the fourth day. On that very day, it was ready and the princess was again delighted with its beauty. But still, her godmother urged her once again to make a request of the king, this time for a dress as bright and shining as the sun. This time, the king summoned a wealthy jeweler and ordered him to make a cloth of gold and diamonds, warning him that if he failed, he would die. Within a week, the jeweler had finished the dress, so beautiful and radiant that it dazzled the eyes of everyone who saw it. The princess did not know how to thank the king, but once again her godmother whispered in her ear, Ask him for the skin of the donkey in the royal stable. The king will not consider your request seriously. You will not receive it, or I am badly mistaken. But she did not understand how extraordinary was the king's desire to please his daughter. Almost immediately, the donkey's skin was brought to the princess. Once again, she was frightened, and once again her godmother came to her assistance. Pretend, she said, to give in to the king. Promise him anything he wishes, but... At the same time, prepare to escape to some far country. Here, she continued, is a chest in which you will put your clothes, your mirror, the things for your toilet, your diamonds and other jewels. I will give you my magic wand. Whenever you have it in your hand, the chest will follow you everywhere, always hidden underground. Whenever you wish to open the chest, as soon as you touch the wand to the ground, the chest will appear. To conceal you, the donkey's skin will be an admirable disguise, for when you are inside it, no one will believe that anyone so beautiful 
could be hidden in anything so frightful. Early in the morning, the princess disappeared as she was advised. They searched everywhere for her, in houses, along the roads, wherever she might have been, but in vain. No one could imagine what had become of her. The princess, meanwhile, was continuing her flight. To everyone she met, she extended her hands, begging them to find her someplace where she might find work. But she looked so unattractive and indeed so repulsive in her donkey skin disguise that no one would have anything to do with such a creature. Farther and still farther she journeyed until finally she came to a farm where they needed a poor wretch to wash the dishcloths and clean out the pig troughs. They also made her work in a corner of the kitchen where she was exposed to the low jokes and ridicule of all the other servants. On Sundays, she had a little rest for, having completed her morning tasks, she went to her room and closed the door and bathed. Then, she opened the chest, took out her toilet jars and set them up. With the mirror before her, having made herself beautiful once more, she tried on her moon dress, then that one which shone like the sun, and finally, the lovely blue dress. Her only regret was that she did not have room enough to display their trains. She was happy, however, in seeing herself young again, and this pleasure carried her along from one Sunday to the next. On this great farm where she worked, there was an aviary belonging to a powerful king. All sorts of unusual birds with strange habits were kept there. The king's son often stopped at this farm on his return from the hunt in order to rest and enjoy a cool drink from his courtiers. From a distance, Donkey Skin gazed on him with tenderness and remembered that beneath her dirt and her rags, she still had the heart of a princess. What a grand manner he has, she thought. How gracious he is. How happy must she be to whom his heart is pledged. If he should give me a dress of only the simplest sort, I would feel more splendid wearing it than any of these which I have. One day, the young prince, seeking adventure from courtyard to courtyard, came to the obscure hallway where Donkey Skin had her humble room. By chance, he put his eye to the keyhole. It was a feast day, and Donkey Skin had put on her dress of gold and diamonds which shone as brightly as the sun. The prince was breathless at her beauty, her youthfulness, and her modesty. Three times he was on the point of entering her room, but each time refrained. On his return to his father's palace, the prince became very thoughtful, sighing day and night and refusing to attend any of the balls and carnivals. He lost his appetite and finally sank into sad and deadly melancholy. He asked who this beautiful maiden was that lived in such squalor, and was told that it was Donkey Skin, the ugliest animal one could find except the wolf, and a certain cure for love. This he would not believe, and he refused to forget what he had seen. His mother, the queen, begged him to tell her what was wrong. Instead, he moaned, wept, and sighed. He would say nothing except that he wanted Donkey Skin to make him a cake with her own hands. Oh heavens, they told her. This Donkey Skin is only a poor, drab servant. It makes no difference, replied the queen. 
We must do as he says. It is the only way to save him. So, Donkey Skin took some flour, which she had ground especially fine, and some salt, some butter, and some fresh eggs, and shut herself alone in her room to make the cake. But first, she washed her face and hands, and put on a silver smock in honor of the task she had undertaken. Now, the story goes that, working perhaps a little too hastily, there fell from Donkey Skin's finger into the batter a ring of great value. Some, who know the outcome of this story, think that she may have dropped the ring on purpose, and they are probably right, for when the prince stopped at her door and looked through the keyhole, she must have known it, and she was sure that the ring would be received most joyfully by her lover. The prince found the cake so good that in his ravishing hunger, he almost swallowed the ring. When he saw the beautiful emerald and the band of gold that traced the shape of Donkey Skin's finger, his heart was filled with an indescribable joy. At once, he put the ring under his pillow, but his illness increased daily, until finally, the doctor, seeing him now grow worse, gravely concluded that he was sick with love. Marriage, whatever may be said against it, is an excellent remedy for lovesickness, and so it was decided the prince was to marry. But I insist, he said, that I will wed only the person whom this ring fits. The unusual demand surprised the king and queen very much, but the prince was so ill that they did not dare object. A search began for whoever might be able to fit the ring on her finger, no matter what the station in life. It was rumored throughout the land that in order to win the prince, one must have very slender fingers. Every charlatan had his secret method of making the finger slim. One suggested scraping it as though it was a turnip. Another recommended cutting away a small piece. Still another, with a certain liquid, planned to decrease the size by removing the skin. At last, the trials began, with princesses, the marquises, and the duchesses. Their fingers, although delicate, were too big for the ring. Then the countesses, the baronesses, and all the nobility presented their hands, but all in vain. Next came the working girls, who often have slender and beautiful fingers, but the ring would not fit them either. Finally, it was necessary to turn to the servants, the slavies and the poultry keepers, with their red and dirty hands. Putting the tiny ring on their clumsy fingers was like trying to thread a big rope through the eye of a needle. At last, the trials were finished. There only remained donkey skin in the far corner of her farm kitchen. Who could dream that she would ever be queen? And why not? asked the prince. Ask her to come here. At that, some started to laugh. Others cried out against bringing that frightful creature into the room. But when she drew out from under the donkey skin, a little hand as white as ivory, and the ring was placed on her finger and fit perfectly. Everyone was astounded. They prepared to take her to the king at once, but she asked that before she appeared before her lord and master, she be permitted to change her clothes. To tell the truth, there was some smiling at this request, but when she arrived at the palace in her beautiful dress, the richness of which had never been equaled, with her blonde hair all alight and diamonds and her blue eyes sweet and appealing, 
and even her waist so slender that two hands could have encircled it, that even the gracious ladies of the court seemed by comparison to have lost all their charms. In all this happiness and excitement, the king did not fail to notice the charms of his prospective daughter-in-law, and the queen was completely delighted with her. The prince himself found his happiness almost more than he could bear. Preparations for the wedding were begun at once, and the kings of all the surrounding countries were invited. Some came from the east, mounted on huge elephants. Others were so fierce-looking that they frightened the little children. From all the corners of the world, they came and descended on the court in great numbers. But neither the prince nor the many visiting kings appeared in such splendor as the bride's father, who now recognized his daughter and begged her forgiveness. How kind heaven is, he said, to let me see you again, dear daughter. Weeping with joy, he embraced her tenderly. His happiness was shared by all, and the future husband was delighted to find that his father-in-law was such a powerful king. At that moment, the fairy godmother arrived too, and told the whole story of what had happened, and what she had to tell added the final triumph for Donkey Skin. It is not hard to see that the moral of this tale is that it is better to undergo the greatest hardships rather than to fail in one's duty, that virtue may sometimes seem ill-fated but will always triumph in the end. The story of Donkey Skin may be hard to believe, but so long as there are children, mothers, and grandmothers in the world, it will be remembered by all. And for our last story of the night, this is Fitcher's Bird. Once upon a time, there was a sorcerer who disguised himself as a poor man and went begging from house to house, capturing beautiful girls. No one knew where he took them, for none of them ever returned. One day, he came to the door of a man who had three beautiful daughters. He appeared to be a poor, weak beggar, and he carried a pack basket on his back, as though he wanted to collect some benevolent offerings in it. He asked for a bit to eat, and when the oldest daughter came out to give him a piece of bread, he simply touched her, and she was forced to jump into his pack basket. Then. He hurried away with powerful strides and carried her to his house, which stood in the middle of a dark forest. Everything was splendid in the house, and he gave her everything that she wanted. He said, My dear, you will like it here with me. You will have everything that your heart desires. So it went for a few days, and then he said to her, I have to go away and leave you alone for a short time. Here are the house keys. You may go everywhere and look at everything except for the one room that this little key here unlocks. I forbid you to go there on the penalty of death. He also gave her an egg, saying, Take good care of this egg. You should carry it with you at all times, for if you should lose it, great 
misfortune would follow. She took the keys and the egg and promised to take good care of everything. As soon as he had gone, she walked about in the house from top to bottom, examining everything. The rooms glistened with silver and gold, and she thought that she had never seen such splendor. Finally, she came to the forbidden door. She wanted to pass by it, but curiosity gave her no rest. She examined the key. It looked like any other one. She put it in the lock and twisted it a little, and then the door sprang open. What did she see when she stepped inside? A large, bloody basin stood in the middle, inside which there lay the cut-up parts of dead girls. Nearby there was a wooden block with a glistening axe lying on it. She was so terrified that the egg which she was holding in her hand fell into the basin. She got it out again and wiped off the blood, but it was to no avail, for it always came back. She wiped and scrubbed, but she could not get rid of the stain. Not long afterward, the man returned from his journey and he immediately asked for the key and the egg. She handed them to him, shaking all the while, for he saw from the red stain that she had been in the blood chamber. You went into that chamber against my will, he said, and now against your will, you shall go into it once again. Your life is finished. He threw her down, dragged her by her hair into the chamber, cut off her head on the block, and then cut her up into little pieces, and her blood flowed out onto the floor. He then threw her into the basin with the others. Now I will go get the second one, said the sorcerer, and again disguised as a poor man, he went to their house begging. The second sister brought him a piece of bread, and as he had done to the first one, he captured her by merely touching her, and he carried her away. It went with her no better than it had gone with her sister. She let herself be led astray by her curiosity, opened the blood chamber, and looked inside. When he returned, she paid with her life. Then he went and captured the third sister, but she was clever and sly and after he had given her the keys and the egg and had gone away, she carefully put the egg aside and then examined the house, entering, finally, the forbidden chamber. Oh, what she saw! Her two dear sisters were lying there in the basin, miserably murdered and chopped pieces. In spite of this, she proceeded to gather their parts together, placing them back in order head, body, arms, and legs. Then, when nothing else was missing, the parts began to move. 
They joined together, and the two girls opened their eyes and came back to life. Rejoicing, they kissed and hugged one another. When the man returned home, he immediately demanded the keys and the egg, and when he was unable to detect any trace of blood on them, he said, You have passed the test. You shall be my bride. He now had no more power over her, and had to do whatever she demanded. Good, she answered, but first you must take a basket full of gold to my father and mother. You must carry it there on your back. In the meanwhile, I shall make preparations for the wedding. Then she ran to her sisters, whom she had hidden in a closet, and said, The moment is here when I can rescue you. The evildoer himself shall carry you home, and as soon as you have arrived at home, send help to me. She put them both in a basket, then covered them entirely with gold, so that nothing could be seen of them. Then she called the sorcerer in and said, Now, carry this basket away, but you are not to stop and rest underway. Take care, for I shall be watching you through my little window. The sorcerer lifted the basket onto his back and walked away with it. However, it pressed down so heavily on him that the sweat ran from his face. He sat down, wanting to rest, but immediately, one of the girls in the basket called out, I am looking through my little window, and I can see that you are resting. Walk on. He thought that his bride was calling to him, so he got up again. And then again, he wanted to sit down, but someone immediately called out, I am looking through my little window, and I can see that you are resting. Walk on. Every time that he stopped walking, someone called out, and he had to walk until, groaning and out of breath, he brought the basket with the gold and the two girls to their parents' house. At home, the bride was making preparations for the wedding feast, to which she had the sorcerer's friends invited. Then she took a skull with grinning teeth, adorned it with jewelry and a wreath of flowers, carried it to the attic window, and let it look out. When everything was ready, she dipped herself into a barrel of honey, then cut open the bed and rolled around in it until she looked like a strange bird, and no one would have been able to recognize her. Then she walked out of the house. Underway, some of the wedding guests met her, and they asked, You, Fitcher's bird, where are you coming from? I am coming from Fitcher's house. What is his young bride doing there? She has swept the house from bottom to top, and now she is looking out of the attic window. Finally, her bridegroom met her. He was slowly walking back home, and like the others, he said, You, Fitcher's bird. Where are you coming from? I am coming from Fitcher's house. What is my young bride doing there? She has swept the house from bottom to top, and now she is looking out of the attic window. The bridegroom looked up. Seeing the decorated skull, he thought it was his bride, and he waved a friendly greeting to her. After he and all his guests had gone into the house, the bride's brothers and relatives arrived. They had been sent to rescue her. After closing up all the doors of the house so that no one could escape, they set it afire 
and the sorcerer, together with his gang, all burned to death. Thanks for listening. I wanted to say thank you to Alicia for reaching out with a request for a sound at the end of the show. Remember, you can always contact me through my contact um, form on my website or email me if you have a certain soothing sound you'd like played at the end of the show. She asked for the sound of ice cracking when water is poured over, which is an amazing request. And Alicia, I tried my darndest, but for some reason it would not make that cracking noise. I don't know if my apartment was too warm or what. I will try again in more temperate weather, but for now I will play for you my attempts. <laughs> I promise I tried. It at least made a nice water and like ice clinking sound, so you know, I hope you enjoy that. Since I took my week-long hiatus, I have so many new Patreon patrons to catch up on. You guys are seriously amazing. I am slowly getting to a point where I will be able to do more cool stuff with my Patreon money. I really want to get a nice camera so I can start doing videos. So a humongous thank you to Sid Smith, Cassandra Lindsay, Tess Matra, Ashley Levine, Molly Kleisner, Tabitha Majesty, and Emily Carell. I'm sending you guys so much warmth and love, and I hope you can feel it. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and Facebook. Oh, and Tumblr. I forget I have a Tumblr. It's like an auto-upload, so I'm not very active, but on all of those. If you have any submissions, you can send them to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Also, I will make a more official announcement later, but I am already taking submissions for this year's kids' Halloween episode. Last deadline seemed a little short, so I wanted to give you guys a big head start. I don't have an official deadline yet. Um, I'd like to release the episode probably a week or two before Halloween so kids have a chance to, you know, really celebrate the season. So if your kids or students missed the last one or nieces or nephews or neighbors or whatever, any kids you know, now is their chance to shine. Also, if you have a teen story who has a story, I will gladly do another teen episode as well. So I'm going to separate it this time, let's say 12 and under for the kids episode and 13 to 18 for the teens episode. That way, you know, the content as you get a little older gets a little spookier for the little ones. So I want to keep them, you know, separate just so no one, mom and dad don't have to <laughs> skip around in case, you know, a really little one is listening. So yeah, so send those, feel free to send those in. I have a file ready. Um, please send them through the email, scarytosleep at gmail.com. Don't send them through Facebook or Twitter or anything because I will lose them, I promise. Um, or you can mail them to me. Um, I can't remember my PO box at the moment, but it's on my website. So if you'd like, a, if your child would like to actually physically write it out and you want to send it to me in snail mail, then feel free. Um, that'd be fun too. So I think that's all. Um, but like I said, I'll make a more official announcement later with actual deadline dates. But I just really wanted to give you guys a good, good head start on those stories. Um, I know you guys probably have some kids at home who are bored during summer and you want to get them away from the screen. So tell them to write me a spooky story. I think that's all for now. So go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>